feel a lot of gratitude arising right now. So grateful to be with you and to see you all. Um, I miss you. I miss each and every one of you. And I feel so grateful that we are a Sangha. And just to say, you know, um, and I'll talk about it a little bit. I've been ill for almost a month now, um, more or less. And uh, so I feel uh, a little wobbly <laughs> coming back in this seat. And uh, so I, I, uh, I'll do my best. But I, I feel as if I'm, um, I'm gaining a lot of uh, strength by seeing all of you. So thank you. I want to say that um, I've been feeling a lot of gratitude, especially since I've been feeling better. And I feel like it was one of the gifts of going through what I went through. And um, I've been kind of resting in that and enjoying that. And, um, but along with it, um, continuous through uh, is just uh, pain. It's just continual pain. And, um, not physical pain, thank goodness, <laughs> but a, 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 just a, a heartbreaking pain, both a, a personal and collective pain. And um, it takes energy. It feels like for me, it takes like this extra energy to be able to kind of carry this pain along. And I, I'm, I'm not the only one. I know we all are, right? Especially as we practice, we get sensitized to pain. This is the heart of our practice actually is to opening up and working with our karmic pain, the pain of the world, dukkha. And it, you know, it lives in our bodies where we're navigating it. I mean, maybe some of you are just feeling ease and joy and that's wonderful. Uh, and that doesn't preclude you also feeling the pain that those things are not mutually exclusive. So I hope and I have many moments of ease and joy. And yet the pain is so in the foreground, it's so loud and clear, you know, that how could we not speak about it? And it, and it lives, it's a physical thing. You know, for me, it lives in my body as a, a kind of heaviness or sadness, or for some people there's an anxiety, dread, fear. Also, it lives as openness and tenderness. And in, in some ways, I, I feel as if every talk, we need to just keep acknowledging the pain that we're navigating. You know, some of it is, again, you know, we're embedded in a web of relationships. Uh, so even if we're physically separate and we're managing so much with this isolation or loneliness or boredom or relentlessness um, of our individual situation, we are also feeling into uh, and being confronted, you know, with an amplification of the centuries of historic pain that just seems to be um, acknowledged, um, demanding our attention, <laughs> demanding we rec reckon with it, you know, which is a good thing, but it's not an easy thing. So this uh, reckoning of centuries of, of violence, 
you know, I'm read, I've been reading a book um, Greg recommended about um, the beginning of colonialization and all of the violence of all of our ancestors in so many ways, so much violence that uh, lives in our, in our ancestral DNA. Looking again, the neglect of racism and human supremacy, this uh, opening to for some of us. And then the navigating, navigating of the pandemic. So, which further amplifies this harmful impact of systemic racism and exploitation of our mother earth. And, um, and as we're all reading about and hopefully trying to understand how those two things go together, how, how these systems of harm are now being even uh, more amplified by the, by the way that the pandemic is impacting different peoples. And every story is heartbreaking. This morning in the New York Times, right, front page, an article about um, how the indigenous people along the Amazon and the Brazil are six times more likely to be infected by COVID than white people. And, and these individual stories and then these collective stories. And then there is just the um, suffering of our immediate family and friends and relationships, people we know and care about, all kinds of vulnerability. And also we are in the process as a Sangha of going through loss too and losing our space and going through months of not being physically together, which is very impactful to all of us. And maybe just for me, recognizing all the more how deeply I rely on all of our bodies being together and caring for each other and holding the pain together. So I bring this all up because um, this is uh, the heart of our, our teachings, right? So Saturday morning is really for beginners. <laughs> it's supposed to be a beginner's talk. And I feel like the um, practice for me has never changed. Um, the request to um, work with karma and work with pain has been my practice since the day I walked in my first Zen Center door. And um, I wanted to just talk about that and name that, that we actually have um, so much in the Dharma that talks about how to meet situations like this. So um, what, I, what I wanted to really do is just encourage everybody because we are, um, we are practicing with a lot of instability and loss. And uh, I just want to um, speak to this idea of what that, those difficult conditions have to actually offer us. So uh, in the Buddhist cosmology, the most, um, the most auspicious realm to be born in is the human realm. And the reason for that is that there is, uh, you know, in the heavenly realms, there's not enough suffering. You know, and I think we think, okay, 
I'm really going to practice once everything is really stable for me. You know, I have bliss and ease and I'll study and everything will be fine. And yet there's really um, something that does not get activated when the conditions are almost too ideal. And we, we can really forget about practice you know, or get kind of thrown and run around with all of the uh, well-being, all the joy. And then if the conditions are too painful, too difficult, and we don't have enough stability or support, if we're in hell realms, uh, it's really hard for us to practice as well. So uh, we want some conditions that are actually a little challenging for us in order to be able to see something about our practice and to motivate our practice. So for me, um, I want to talk a little bit today about being physically ill because that was something that brought me to my edge of practice, you know, really kind of challenged and helped me to see something about what my practice had to offer and also the limitations about what I thought my practice could uh, free me from. So um, one of the things, you know, I, when we are thrown into difficult situations is uh, we don't realize what we become attached to, what we presume or assume about our lives and the way it should be until there's a death, loss, you know, we lose our jobs or we get physically ill. So um, I, I, I had an acute um, uh, uh, illness, nothing other people haven't suffered through, but for me, it really brought me to my knees. <laughs> and there was no sense of help anywhere to be found. And I, I was scrambling. You know, I, I hadn't remembered how attached I am or how much I presume health as a ground. And I think anybody who's been sick, you know, goes through that process, you know, especially when you're on the other side, you're like, oh my God, how could I have um, taken this for granted? The other thing about difficulties is that they kind of enliven or strengthen our intention. You know, that we turn to wisdom resources. We, we want to find help, you know, when, when there's difficulty. So, um, and then, um, it, it increases the possibility for insight. So when there's difficulty, we get to see what the Buddha was pointing to about the nature of life and, uh, and where the false ground is and the refuge ground. And then finally, I would say, and this to me feels most important, that uh, when we suffer, when we're grieving, when we're struggling, uh, we have this opportunity to um, strengthen our bodhisattva heart. We can um, remember that others are suffering as well. We can feel into the suffering of others because we're not separate from it. So um, if there was one point I'd want to leave you with today in um, talking, it would be um, a teaching that has uh, been spoken by by many of our ancestors and elders, which is the, the idea of continuous practice. 
So uh, we don't just practice when conditions are ideal, we practice, the idea is we practice every single moment, every single situation. And we just practice and practice and practice, no matter what is happening. And um, the continuous practice holds us and helps support us when these more acute sufferings um, come our way. So sometimes we can think, um, you know, it's too hard for me to practice right now. I don't have Sangha, I don't have a Zendo, uh, I'm sick, my family is sick, I don't have enough to eat. And it's not as if those things are not um, true and real, and yet the teaching is we practice, we go into practice, we go in and work with the dukkha, we work with the pain. That is our practice. So Dogen says, um, I, I love Dogen because he's so unequivocal, you know, he's so like, boom, I'm not going to apologize for this teaching. Here's the teaching. So he says, do not fear suffering from the cold. Suffering from the cold has never crushed the way. Only be concerned about not practicing. Lack of practice leaves a person divided and hinders the way. Do not be put off by the suffering of the heat. Suffering from heat has never crushed the way. Only be concerned about not practicing. Lack of practice leaves a person divided and hinders the way. So, To me, this has been um, something I've had to develop faith around, you know, because I, I wonder about this idea that there is actually uh, circumstances that are so uh, intense, so hard, that um, it's naive to think we can, we can practice during those times. And I, I sometimes used to worry that, um, it's like um, some sort of privilege, you know, that we can always practice, you know, it's a, maybe that there are certain conditions that, um, you know, what we call like just standard, um, um, standard essential things we need, like sleep and eating and housing and food and a, a feeling of safety in order to practice. And I do think that we do need the stability and support in order to be able to calm down our nervous system in order to attend to what's happening. But I do believe that if we um, practice with whatever is happening in whatever way we can, we build something. So, and, what, and I wanna just talk about what I mean by that, what practice means in this situation which is basically how do we open up to what is happening? How do we include the pain? How do we work with the dukkha? How do we clarify our karma? And, um, and how do we uh, create the possibility that we can have well-being under any circumstances? So this is what I'm exploring in my own practice. And um, 
So I kind of welcomed this very extreme illness, <laughs> meaning extreme in that it was really painful. <laughs> um, and how, how, how did my practice meet that? And I think, um, you know, I could, you could replace my physical illness with anything that you all are happening to um, go through or the, the collective dukkha we're all in the middle of. So I wanted to share with you a koan that um, speaks to this. From the Book of Serenity. So this is a teaching story, which, um, which, is, which are stories that help us clarify what the practice is under particular conditions. So this is called um, Zen Master Dongshan Was Unwell. So when Zen Master Dongshan was unwell, a monk asked, you are ill teacher, but is there anyone who does not get ill? So this is a, a classic teaching. Is there some, some place that stays well? Is there an end to suffering? Is there a place to be liberated even in the midst of suffering? Is there a way not to be moved around by karmic conditions? And when I hear this question, is there anyone who doesn't get ill? I also have my skeptical side that comes up, the place in which I think many of us try to spiritually bypass you know, that we think, okay, is there a way I can escape this suffering? Uh, is there a place I can kind of hang out apart from this suffering? And um, for me, uh, when I was uh, in the hospital and feeling really ill, I thought to myself, you know, um, maybe I can't practice right now. I'm in such pain. Let, let me put that aside and just get through this. Uh, or what if this is now the reality and it does, it only gets worse. So um, how can practice help me now? So is there one who doesn't get ill? Is there some way I can stay well during this? And then Dongshan says, yes, there is. There is one who does not get ill. So it's, a, it's an encouragement. Yes, there is some way to be with this suffering. And, uh, you know, this illness is now a chance to motivate our practice. Okay, tell me, how do I practice? How do I, <laughs> how do I stay well in, in these conditions? So the monk says, uh, does the one who is not ill look after you? So who, who is the one who's not suffering and how are they going to look after the one who is suffering? And we do this, you know, when we're ill, mentally ill, psychologically ill, we're in, we're in suffering, we reach out, we're looking for help, right? Our, our teachers, our doctors, our ancestors, our therapists, scientists, you know, how, how help me, look after me. And I also, uh, when I was really ill, one of the things I was um, thinking is, okay, the one who is not ill is going to look after me. So how do I, 
I, I had a lot of just acute physical pain and I kept trying to um, kind of step back from it into awareness, like be an observer, you know, like, all right, I'm going to be really still with this pain. I'm going to rest in awareness. I'm going to escape a little bit and I get a little relief here. <laughs> this is so unbearable. And I did, I, 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 and I, these are the practices, you know, I, I was breathing, I, I was staying still, I was trying not to like activate my mind because any little thing just made the pain that much worse. And I, I was like, okay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rely on my Zen practice to help me get out of this. And yet there was a lot of suffering there still. So then, Dongshan says, the monk says, is the one who's not ill looking after the one who's ill? And then Dongshan says, I have the opportunity to look after him. So I, I love this turn in this story because basically what he's saying is, the one who is ill is caring for the practice. The one who is ill, the one who is suffering, the one who is um, in the midst of karmic conditions is actually looking after the practice, looking after the awakened one. How can that be? <laughs> I, I, I wasn't, I couldn't really practice fully um, until I was able to really surrender to how much pain I was in. I, there was a way I wasn't surrendering. I had to uh, more fully let this pain express itself without that little bit of trying to kind of contain it and manage it and control it with my mind. I had to really feel the complete vulnerability of uh, being a body at that moment. You know, in a way, my body, especially in the hospital, because it was getting the medicine it needed, it was just living out its illness. You know, the body has its own physical laws coming out of all these conditions. And I just had to get out of the way of it. You know, it could be the same with any karma that we have mental karma, trauma, that has its own history, its own conditions, its own way of it coming up and expressing itself in a moment. And I had to get out of the way of it. And it, it looked really strange because uh, my body was just agitated and writhing around in the bed and I couldn't move, I couldn't get comfortable. <laughs> and as soon as I kind of just, I must have looked like a mad woman. As soon as I let myself just completely writhe around in bed, I, this minute, this minute, this minute, I just let the body do whatever it didn't need to do. It was moving around. It had to move around. It needed to move around and I had to get out of the way. I just was like um, being with it. And so in a way, the body was showing me the ceremony it needed in order to, um, ease its suffering, showed me the medicine that it needed, needed me to fully be in it, with it, and allow it to express itself.
and um, and in that there was compassion there was a, a kind of a sympathy like oh this is what you need it feels like hell for me to do it but I'm gonna do it <laughs> I'm gonna be with you with this and um, So the illness then began to teach me things. You know, this was the medicine. Here's the medicine starting to come in. And it's the case with all of us. If we enter any moment of pain and we listen and we open up the medicine, the wisdom will start to emerge. So the medicine, I think, of illness, uh, loss of any sort is the, is the medicine of impermanence, the teaching of impermanence. You know, just it only lasted a day, but when I went in the bathroom, I, 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 my eyes were like beet red. They looked like beets. My body was covered in rashes. Um, my body was like a 90-year-old body. You know, I could barely move. I'm looking at myself in the mirror going, who is this being? What happened in five days? How did I get to this point? Where, where did my, you know, relatively healthy body go? Uh, and I just felt really vulnerable to life, to this tiny little tick, this tiny little being had the capacity to transform me into that. And then a couple of other things happened that were very uh, powerful. The first time that I was able to feel some relief, some mental relief, was when I was laying there and I began to think about, um, first, my family members who endured many weeks in hospitals, enduring all sorts of treatments, thinking about all the people in all the hospitals all around this country getting, uh, enduring all sorts of illness. and and then people who couldn't even get the medicine that they need and under all these circumstances. And the more I thought about them, the less pain I felt really, or the more like I had a wider field in which to um, be with this. And my heart opened up and I felt this relief. So and um, and I realized too that I could practice and have been practicing for a long time. I'm committed to practicing the rest of my life, and it's not going to get me out of this. You know, <laughs> we're not going to come out without illness, loss, pain, death. We're just not. And there was some relief in that, you know, <laughs> like something, you know, there was actually some fantasy in my mind that somehow my practice was going to get me out of that. It's kind of funny to think about at this moment. So the monk said, you know, how is it that you look after him? How is it that the ill one looks after the one who's not ill? And then Dongshan said, then I don't see that he has any illness. So um, 
what started to happen as I allowed myself to really open up to the pain is that the division between illness and non-illness started to started to blend, started to open up. So there was a kind of equanimity, a balance in it. Uh, I let itself express itself fully. And then actually I started to feel like a little bit of a blending of who was ill and who wasn't ill. You know, in this moment I'm ill, next moment somebody else will be ill. Uh, some part of me wanted to start taking care of things. You know, I, I was hooked to this machine, this IV machine, and it was torturous. I mean, it was feeding me my medicine, but if I moved one tiny little inch, it started beeping. And every time it beeped, the nurses had to come in and fix the machine. And I couldn't move my body because if I moved it at all, so I'm in, I'm in such pain and I can't move it. So this machine was like my enemy, you know, like, stop beeping. And some of the nurses were very patient. Others were really kind of like, what did you do? <laughs> How did you mess this up? Ah! So uh, it was just relentless. You know, this was going on for about 24 hours straight. And then the funniest thing happened, you know, and then also, again, many of you have probably experienced this. It's, you know, you can't, you have to move with it. It's like attached to you. So if you have to go to the bathroom, you have to unplug it, undo all the wires, move it over, lift it up over the lip, bring it in the bathroom, find a way to sit on the toilet. You know, it was like your, it was part of your body. And I just hated this machine. And then at a certain moment, I was walking into the bathroom with the machine and I just felt love for it. It like became my friend, you know? This silly little machine was actually saving my life. And I was like, it was like my dogs, like, come on, let's go inside now. Here you go. What do you need? Thank you very much. Thank you. Something, uh, gratitude started to open up and a, and, a, and a willingness to be with this thing. You know, <laughs> I was just doing what it was doing. So this wholeness starts to happen, this breaking down and this, this kind of integration. Now I'm talking about a very linear, this doesn't always happen this way. It happens in all sorts of ways. It's mysterious really, but I'm kind of separating it out in this way to try to amplify and encourage this practice around working with um, pain. So this is how the one who is ill takes care of the one who is not ill. The illness and the caring for the illness, caring for our karma, starts to let us feel into the, this teaching. That the illness is actually a gift to, to myself and to others. You know, I, I was concerned about the impact of this illness on this, on this community. I was so beautifully cared for by everybody here, by all of you. And it was an opportunity to teach. So I wanted to um, bring in Darlene. Cohen, which I often do, she was my first teacher. She struggled with illness most of her life. And she talks about this equanimity, which is this gift that comes out of being with Dukkha. 
over time, you know, this is a result of practice. It's not like, I, I think this is why continuous practice is so important. It just comes out as grace at a particular moment. So here's what she writes. She talks about equanimity. She says, it's the stability that even though some part of you is going, oh my God, there's some other part of you that's been developed that is just there. It's just there. And it is what you vow to return to, to get your strength, to get your resources while allowing some other part of you to be frantic and crazy. Allowing some other part of you to be frantic and crazy when you feel the stability, you don't care whether a part of you is crazy or not. Because the stability is there too, putting an arm around the crazy part. So you don't have to squelch your craziness, squelch your suffering, squelch your pain. You can actually relax and even enjoy the struggle. Something. I don't know about enjoy, <laughs> but there's fruits. You know, there's something uh, tenderizing about that vulnerability. So, I'll, I, I just want to name this is, you know, I, um, I'll say it this way. Um, you know, we really, we meaning here, we really want to keep supporting everybody's practice while we can't be physically together. And so we're um, committing and wanting to have a, a number of, of sittings, a number of sashims, because this continuous practice is so built on zazen, so built on this sitting down a moment to moment, looking at all the small and large dukkha, right? I mean, if you stop, even for a minute, and you breathe, you will feel dukkha, you'll feel pain. So what I wanted to end with, I don't want to open up because it's so big, I just want to point to it, but I wanted to say that um, in August we'll be uh, doing a three-day retreat, and the three-day retreat is going to look at this um, idea of what our original heart-mind looks like and feels like, how we can access it. Because when we practice with karma, when we practice uh, zazen and all the other practices that go along with zen, sangha practice, we can start that karma that we're looking at and feeling with and being with, as I mentioned, in these little ways that it happened to me, some light starts to appear, something appears that is, um, um, so supportive, our original mind. So this mind is a mind that is empty. Empty meaning it sees that it's impermanent, it rises out of all kinds of conditions. So we start to see the relational quality of our mind, that we are deeply interconnected. We can begin to trust in the collective. You know, so much was holding me during that time so many beings and i was in solidarity with all the other suffering beings as best i could and this is what we start to feel into is this larger larger something larger bigger than us we could call it our ancestral uh, support the land our sangha however you might feel it and that comes out of 
that's 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 a gift of emptiness of understanding that we are not separate and then the other quality of mind is called responsiveness or compassionate activity that um, when we can really feel the vulnerability of being human we naturally our heart wants to respond to suffering it becomes uncluttered you know with a kind of avoidance we we, we rest in the suffering norman fisher once said i i want to i don't want to get rid of suffering i want to more suffering I want to feel the suffering more because it helps to connect me more with others. That radical belonging, that radical solidarity. So this is a natural response of the mind. This is the original mind that we talk about, Buddha mind. And then the last quality is, um, and I felt that, right? So it's not, again, not off in the future. It's there, right there in a moment of being with suffering. And then um, the last thing I'll say is about this radiance, you know, the, the, one of the qualities of mind that is uncluttered or not in a fight with dukkha, you know, is uh, things become much more alive. So when I left the hospital, you know, as you can imagine, when you go into a sense of deprivation and then you open up, you know, <laughs> and I go to the driveway, and it is beautiful here on any day, but my God, it was like the trees were singing and swaying and welcoming me. And I felt like I had entered paradise. This mirror mind that energetically, if we don't cling to and get so caught up in our, in our fear and our sense of separation actually what we do is we radiate we can we can feel each other we can feel that with with people who are deeply um, free and liberated and it's not even that when i was in the hospital you know i had nurse after nurse come in i had a i had a woman come in to clean the floor and um the minute she walked in the door, my whole body felt um, this uh, gentle, loving spirit. And she, you know, she quietly washed the floor. And I had left my phone cord because I couldn't use this one arm. So like, things are just flopping on the floor. And she took the cord and she just wrapped it around, around, my, um, around my bed. Such a silly little thing in them. She just was, it was like a little bodhisattva. She was just quietly radiating a kind of quiet thoughtfulness, you know, and she left and I just felt better. So this is the, this is the kind of um, offering we have when we, um, I don't know, I don't know what the circumstances that made this woman this way, you know, and that I could feel that. So we affect each other energetically very much. And I think just generally, and I've seen this one, I saw a few interviews of people, this one man who had COVID for, I think like 150 days and was, um, he was uh, 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 under, he was on a respirator for 52 days. I mean, he just was like 
his heart was so open in this interview. So I, I, I do think that, that there's a, a fierce vulnerability, a way of staying and practicing staying open and tender that comes as a result of being with suffering. And then a kind of a commitment to not jump out of it, not forget, you know, stay close to it. Because there's so much harm that arises when we, when we try to get away from it. So there is, uh, I, I just um, hope we can keep supporting each other through these talks, through the small groups, through the Zazen, to help support each other to be with pain and to take care of each other well. And um, to sit, to please sit, because I think the sitting is critical. It's really hard without sitting. So I'm going to end with the Terragatha again. <laughs> I think I've done this several times. I want to eventually read every poem in this book because it's so beautiful and so inspiring. This one is called uh, Mita, or Friend. Full of trust, you left home and soon learn to walk the path, making yourself a friend to everyone and making everyone a friend. When the whole world is your friend, fear will find no place to call home. And when you make the mind your friend, you'll know what trust really means. Listen, I have followed this path of friendship to its end. And I can say with absolute certainty, it will lead you home. So I hope we can be very friendly with our pain. And, um, and it will offer you some medicine. I know it will. So don't be afraid. May our intention equally penetrate. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.